It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello, you're very welcome to The Tonight Show. New hopes of a peace deal in Ukraine as America pledges $800 million in additional military aid to Kyiv to help fight the Russian invasion, and Biden brands Putin a war criminal. This new package on its own is going to provide unprecedented assistance to Ukraine. We'll have the very latest from Gavin Riley in Washington. Also tonight, COVID cases in our crowded hospitals hit their highest level in more than a year as the country prepares to celebrate the national holiday. Do get in touch on Twitter with your comments and questions. It's hashtag TonightVMTV. tonight in the U.S. capital, Washington, where U.S. President Joe Biden has branded Russian President Vladimir Putin a war criminal and has announced he's sending more military aid to Ukraine to fight the Russian invasion. President Biden is due to attend a dinner tonight with the Taoiseach, Michael Martin, who warned today that there will be a price for the war and said he is not ruling out a possible recession here in Ireland. The Taoiseach has also spoken to Ukrainian President Zelensky by phone to say Ireland was behind Ukraine. Our political correspondent, Gavin Riley, is in Washington for us tonight. The main crux of Vladimir Zelensky's address, a very emotive speech to the joint houses of Congress today in Washington, was the general idea of close the sky. He said, if you close Ukrainian skies, if you helped Ukraine to protect its own airspace, that would fundamentally cripple Russia's ability to wage war on his country. What we've got in response from Joe Biden is not necessarily any kind of Western intervention per se to help do that, but rather arming Ukraine to try and defend its own airspace without the need for foreign personnel to be involved in doing so. This new package on its own is going to provide unprecedented assistance to Ukraine. It includes 800 anti-aircraft systems to make sure the Ukrainian military can continue to to stop the planes and helicopters that have been attacking their people and to defend their Ukrainian airspace. And at the request of President Zelensky, we have identified and are helping Ukraine acquire additional longer-range anti-aircraft systems and the munitions for those systems. And when you look at the breakdown of the 800 million of military aid which is now being sent to Ukraine, on the face of it, it does look very impressive. 800 Stinger anti-aircraft systems, 2,000 Javelin, 1,000 light anti-armour weapons, 6,000 AT-4 anti-armour weapons, 100 tactical unmanned aerial systems, and the list goes on. 25,000 sets of body armour, 20,000 helmets, all on top of what was already a fairly significant military assistance package from the United States when this war broke out three years ago. Now, Michal Martin has ruled out lending Ukraine some of Ireland's fairly modest but nonetheless pretty significant stash of military equipment that could help it achieve that goal of stopping Ukraine from bombarding it from the air. 
But there has today also been discussions between Micheál Martin and Vladimir Zelensky. We are told that there was a pre-scheduled 20-minute phone call between the two leaders in which Vladimir Zelensky thanked Ireland for its humanitarian aid, 20 million so far, as well as its contribution to the non-lethal aid element of the EU's assistance programmes. He also thanked Ireland for the visa waiver programme, which has been availed of by over 6,500 Ukrainian refugees inside the last three weeks. And he was also particularly grateful for Ireland's stance this St. Patrick's Day. Ordinarily, as we know, landmarks around the world will be lit up in the green of Ireland to mark Ireland's national holiday. This year, the Irish government has asked authorities around the world not to do that, but rather to light up their monuments in blue and yellow, the colours of Ukraine, as a mark of European solidarity for that country. In reply, the Taoiseach said that he would do whatever he and the country could to try and help Ukraine throughout its resistance. He also said that Ireland was fully supportive of Ukraine's bid for EU membership, something which could potentially be on the line if talks of a possible peace settlement between Ukraine and Russia are to be believed. Well, thanks, Gavin. The other main developments in the war today were renewed hopes of a progress on the outline of a peace plan between the warring sides. However, civilian casualties are also continuing to mount with reports that Russian forces have bombed a theatre in the southern city of Mariupol where hundreds of civilians were sheltering. But the scale of casualty numbers there is still unclear. Elsewhere, Russian attacks are continuing across Ukraine with reports of multiple deaths and injuries. US President Joe Biden has tonight called Russian leader Vladimir Putin a war criminal over the invasion of Ukraine. Joe Biden said he was speaking after seeing the TV images like the ones we are watching now. And meanwhile, in Moscow, three Russian citizens have been charged with spreading inaccurate information about the Russian military in the first application of new media laws that were introduced there. Correspondent Stuart Smith reports from Moscow under current Russian government reporting restrictions. Prosecutors provided no details about what two of the accused allegedly said, but they face three years in prison or a fine of 14,000 euros, more than twice the average Russian salary. A blogger in the Siberian city of Tomsk, who's already fled the country, is looking at a minimum prison sentence of five years and possibly ten. These laws apply to us too, which means there are limits to what we can report regarding military activities in Ukraine from here in Moscow. Despite the risks of prosecution, though, nearly 15 15,000 people have been arrested at protests in over 50 cities, often for allegedly breaking COVID-19 laws. Russian President Vladimir Putin earlier spoke about how he hopes to protect Russians from rising prices, for the first time tacitly admitting there will be damage to the pockets of Russian people. He's ordered the government to raise the minimum wage, increase public sector salaries and beef up benefits. Sanctions mean Russia's already facing difficulties honouring its debts. There are certainly people who are against what's going on and the new economic problems, but the prevailing opinion seems to put the blame not on what the Russian military is doing, but on the West for imposing unjustified sanctions on a country whose officials say they are only doing what must be done to protect Ukrainians and Russia from an illegitimate and fascist government in Kiev. And did you spot it? A giant Z of lights on the city government building behind me, the symbol of Russia's special operation. The messaging here is pervasive. Stuart Smith, Moscow. Well, I'm joined now by my panel, Fine Gael TD, Emer Higgins, Independent TD, Michael Fitzmorris, former Dublin Lord Mayor, Green Party Councillor Hazel Shue, and journalist and former Minister, Shane Ross. You are all very welcome to the programme. Emer, I'm going to start with you because that was a big statement from Joe Biden today, an additional $800 million worth of military aid, but it did still, once again, fall short 
of what uh, Zelensky has been looking for, which is this no-fly zone. It does, absolutely. I suppose Zelensky's asking for two things. He's asking for the no-fly zone and he's asking for more sanctions. And his words were he wanted sanctions every single week until this ends. Um, and I know the that the EU has announced new sanctions only earlier this week, our fourth round of sanctions. And, and I do believe that the sanctions will come, um, will come on that, that, that rolling basis. And I think that's the right thing to do. The no-fly zone is, is a bigger decision. It ultimately is. And I mean, the repercussions of the no-fly zone could be World War III. And that's something that we, we absolutely would need to go into with our eyes wide open. Um, it's not a decision I think we can make overnight. It's not a decision I would like Joe Biden to make on behalf of the rest of the world either. I would like him to be in, in consultation and collaboration with our EU leaders, um, with the UK leaders. Do you think you it's know, something that they might need... move on? I, I, Do you think there's any sort of red line for the West? I, I mean... Listen, at the moment, like we, we all know Ukraine is not a NATO country. Um, thing, things will escalate, I, I imagine, uh, quite quickly, unfortunately, if something were to happen in a NATO country. But, you know, what's happening right now is there's peace talks underway. Mm. Um, there's, there's talk of a 15-point peace plan being worked out. Like, that's where we need to put our efforts. We need to put our efforts into trying to see, can this be resolved diplomatically to avoid, at all costs, World War III. But are the peace talks, I suppose, Shane Ross, evidence that Putin is feeling the pressure? And if he is, is it not time to ratchet up that pressure and perhaps call his bluff? Isn't that exactly what's happening? Um, yeah, I think it's... it's the, the, the story this morning from the Financial Times that there was a 15-point plan. Mm was indication, I assume, that Putin is feeling the pressure. I mean, he wouldn't have been talking peace to anybody two weeks ago. There wouldn't have been any question of it. I think he is. I think ratcheting up the, the pressure is something both sides are also doing, specifically to position themselves for the peace talks. Putin is involved in some very serious atrocities today, which are absolutely horrific, which you've just given us an example of, and I think a lot of children were killed in that attack on a shelter. But I presume that what he's doing is, is actually trying to get himself into a horribly strong position for peace talks. And on the other side, you've got, you've got the president of Ukraine talking to the American Congress. And a very significant development today is where Biden called him a war criminal. Mm. And that means something to me was very, very, very significant. That means we may agree a peace truce with you. But afterwards, the Americans and the rest are going to have to pursue him as a war, war criminal. But are they, though? Is the uncomfortable truth not that if we do compromise yeah. with Russia and Putin remains at, as the head of Russia, that there will be no pursuit? That would for be these totally planes. and utterly hypocritical and unacceptable. After all that's been seen and done and said about him, and what we know about him, what he's prepared to do now to say, OK, we're done, we'll deal with you, you can go ahead. I think they're going to have to be very, very honest and very straight afterwards if there's a peace deal done. And they're going to have to declare, yes, but do sanctions go ahead or do they not? Is he going to be relieved of that pressure? Is he suddenly going to become someone they can deal with again after calling him a war criminal? It's going to be very difficult. And the indication today is, and, and Biden wouldn't have made this statement without thinking about this, of course not, is that they're going to regard him as a war criminal afterwards as well. What about closer to home, Hazel? What about the Irish response to this? Do you think we have sent the right message? We see Michael Martin saying today to um, President Zelensky, the Irish are behind you, we stand in solidarity. Are we? We are, in fairness. Our, our response has been overwhelmingly supportive. Uh, we've been very generous. We've always been a generous nation. And we see uh, 
the various departments coming together to make sure that the refugees that we take in are supported. There was just a meeting today from Minister of State Joe O'Brien that gathered all the local authorities and NGOs together to discuss how we can integrate and support uh, the, the people we need to support coming in. On an overall uh, level of I guess, in terms of exerting power. We've never been a nation that have that military power. And to change that overnight is a much bigger discussion. And what yet, we've provided is aid, and we need to continue to provide that humanitarian aid. And yet I know you were very uncomfortable this week by the delivery of Russian diesel at Dublin ports. I was. I think the ports should have been closed. So to be fair, uh, the but we shouldn't have accepted that. No, energy. we shouldn't have accepted it. I think if we were uh, closing flights, mm -hmm. we should also close shipping as well, because this was an ask from the UK Ukrainians uh, themselves. The Ukrainian ambassador who I spoke to had that as a very specific ask from Ukraine. And it put people in a, a very difficult position because those people who were working offloading said oil were from countries affected. Would you agree? Michael? No, I don't agree. Um, first of all, um, if the oil doesn't come into this country, and indeed Europe uh, has made a decision um, as a whole that for energy, um, and the facts are that we don't have enough of energy or be able to, basically the lights would go out um, or the, the transport would stop. And we must remember that we have to look at this probably a different way. If you have re Ukrainian refugees, which are welcomed in Ireland, and in all fairness, the Irish people is making a huge effort right around this country, and I must compliment people in rural areas, especially for what they're doing. Um, there might be a fall down at the moment that the likes of the Red Cross are under pressure. It is good to know today that there was a meeting going on uh, to try and coordinate this, because this will need wraparound services as well. But you have, you have to be careful you don't bite off your nose to spite your face. And uh, if we go into recession, which is a big danger. If the lights go out or if the lorries cannot run, remember, we need energy, we need food in this country, and indeed Europe needs it. Because but you would accept, Michael, that the oil revenue <laughs> that Russia is receiving is funding the, the war. The bottom line on it is, Kira, at the moment, the 600 billion of a war chest put together is my understanding from the media for this war. That's, that's what Putin put together. Um, and he's not going to run out of money. It's about 200 billion spent, is my understanding. He's not going to run out of money today or tomorrow. We have to be able to make sure that we help those people coming here, but also that we, keep, that we don't go into recession or we won't be able to basically keep the fight going that's against him at the moment. Imber, do you feel we are complicit if we continue to import Russian energy into Europe? I think what we have to do is, is act as one with Europe. Um, we need to abide by the sanctions, which we are. We need to continue to express solidarity with, with the Ukraine citizens, which we are. But on and the basis we, of energy? And we saw that, thank, just I suppose to acknowledge the thank you that we got today from President Zelensky, I think is quite powerful. It, it shows that we as a nation are standing there. 20,000 20, homes have been pledged through the Irish Red Cross for refugees to come and, on, and live here as well, which is so incredible when you think about it. It's specifically when you're talking about energy care, it is a difficult one, absolutely. I mean, people right now are sitting at home looking at increased energy bills. Like there is trade-offs in this war. These are the difficult decisions that governments both at an Irish level and at an EU level have to make and we have to weigh everything up to do that. Shane, you wanted to get in there? Yeah, the, we've done a great job on humanitarian, on, 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 on the humanitarian side. We've done a fantastic job. The numbers coming in here and the, the welcome they're getting, as Michael said, it's just, it's just phenomenal. And it, you'd be very proud of being Irish on, on that basis. But 
I think it's showing a lack of commitment. And I think the president of Ukraine would be very disappointed. Maybe he told Michal Martin, and that's not part of the press briefing we're getting, about, about the fact that, that, uh, that Hazel was re referring to in Dublin Port, that the fact that, that we were taking oil in. And he'd also, I would have thought, be very disappointed by the fact that the, there's an oligarch in Ireland who owns Ochish Aluminia, which I can never pronounce. And he is now totally and utterly tolerated. Aluminium has... Well, there not... is no EU sanctions against Of course there him. isn't. I agree with you. But that's... Why isn't there? Why isn't there sanctions against aluminium? Uh, in Ireland, he is acceptable. He's, his, none of his assets have been touched. In the UK, they've all been frozen. Now, isn't I don't that a think that would be satisfactory to the, to the Irish I mean, what, what message people? are we giving to the Ukrainian people? The EU is acting as one, and that's what we absolutely have to do here. There's strength and there's solidarity in numbers, and, and that sends a much stronger message. On a week-by-week -week basis, we've seen the fourth now at this point round of EU sanctions. I, I don't think anybody's ruling out sanctions on, on this oligarch at all. He's just not included at the moment. I mean, we why, saw the, well, why not? Well, this is an EU decision. This is an yeah, But Ireland's part of the EU, and, 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 and I presume they, they're going in there. And what, what is Simon Coveney saying in there to the EU? Is he saying... Let's do this to aluminium? I bet you he's not. He's saying, let's let, let aluminium off. And that I, shows half... I don't, think that that's, shows, I don't think that's fair to assume well, what it, Simon Coveney is saying it in is rooms most important that we're seen, that we're seen to be taking on oligarchs in the way others are. And this guy's going scot-free. 14, uh, 14 honest, oligarchs I, I, I have think, already been sanctioned. I think we also need to be seen to be playing an active role on cutting our ties with Russia. So I think it's been very clear from this war that an investment in renewables is an investment in peace. We need to start cutting off the hold that Russia has on, of, uh, on us. If it's not you, from so Russia... So you see this as an opportunity, do you, Michael? This is a great think, opportunity for, for us to shift all, over to renewables. I think what we have to look at is the failure of EU food policy and energy policy over the last 20 to 30 years. And just think at the moment, Ireland needs gas, and I know that they don't get more, any of their gas are not supposed to be, even though that it's gone up four, five, six fold. We're supposed to get it from Scotland and off the West Coast. Um, but if you look at the, what has happened in Ireland over the last few years in energy, the likes of Bournemouth, if you look today what has happened because of EU um, basically rules, that I, there's, there's a full wind farm in County Galway being closed that would supply power to 40,000 houses, renewable, as you talk about, because of EU legislation. And at a time of war, we are closing renewable things that can basically produce electricity through renewable energy. We're taking in gas, we're taking in oil, and at the same time, we have a product here in this country that we closed down a few years ago. And what we have done so is solution? that we have followed the EU basically food policy and energy policy, and we have left ourselves like birds in the nest. We are relying on others to feed us in the line of energy, and we have left ourselves in a damn bad situation. Hazel, we've left ourselves in a damn bad situation. We only had to look at what uh, the announcement from Board Gosh Energy yesterday. Yep, no, I, I, I think I agree with part of what Michael says. I, I do think we're in a situation. However, it's not something that we can't resolve. Do you agree that a full wind farm should be closed at a time of no, war? No, but Michael, that's, that's not the point we're making here. The point is, how can we, at this stage, under pressure, use this uh, uh, juncture to make ourselves better in terms of investment in renewable energies. It's the moving forward path. Yeah, if we want to make a strong statement to Ukraine against Russia, yeah, but, we need to cut off let's, let's the live in, let's oil live and gas in, and we need yeah, to invest. But let's live in the real world. If we're going to put wind turbines offshore, and Shane will tell you this as well, he was Minister for Transport, it will be 
approximately 10 years before you get there. And we need to get there. I've no, I've no problem you're, with you're that. You're going with but a plan you, that if, wasn't pressurized. Yeah, so if, you're, you're talking about a plan that was previously seen without pressure being put on the relevant uh, departments and functions. But what you're seeing now is a completely different ballgame. Everyone has their backs against the wall. So now is the time when we look at how investment in wind, how investment in solar, how to scale yeah, it up, and this real. can be done. Get real and go through the planning system in Ireland. It's 10 years while we're going going to be looking at. Here's a lot of fair I'm talking point, about, it? Yeah, but what like, I'm talking that's about is today, tomorrow, next week, no, no, the no, next no, six no. months and, for the Irish and people. And I get where Michael is coming from. And he makes a valid point that uh, on a direct effect of um, how long it takes. But what I'm saying is these things can be shortened if there is a will behind it. Does it affect? How does it affect your viewers um, on the screen tonight is that if we have more of an investment in renewables, then it benefits all of us. All right, we were talking uh, a little bit earlier about the generosity uh, that many Irish uh, people have shown. Well, earlier I spoke to one woman who fled the conflict and is now working with KCLR local radio in Carlo and Kilkenny. Tatiana Kuschuk is coordinating the station service for Ukrainians. This evening I spoke to her about her new job here in Ireland and her journey. Hi to everybody. Um, I'm settling in very well. And after um, a very stressful experience of crossing the Ukrainian border, uh, moving across Romania to Ireland and um, from the Dublin airport to Kilkenny, it's finally a safe haven um, and with a lot of people offering and providing help, um, support. Uh, it's, it, it was easy uh, to forget uh, the bad days and it's easy to settle in. So both me and my son are feeling much better and, yeah, feeling happy here after what we have uh, gone through. Uh, but I would imagine, Tatiana, it must be difficult to be here with your little boy, he's 12 now, but to be watching the events unfolding in your home country and to see how your fellow Ukrainians are suffering. Well, this is true. Um, <clears throat> I'd love to say that uh, almost in every Irish home, uh, at least in those homes that I visited, um, the TVs are working non-stop uh, with the news channels and people are following up uh, on the news from Ukraine. And same uh, in the house of my host family, of Don Campion and his son Finn. Uh, so, I mean, every hour there are new uh, reports about what's going on uh, in Mariupol, in Zaporizhia and Kherson, in other hotspots. And... Honestly, I cannot watch that without tears. Um, this is my country. It's being destroyed. Um, I cannot watch my people being killed. I know my people are very warm-hearted, open, um, very hardworking. They were hoping for the better future. And now it's like everything is smashed, all their hopes and dreams. Uh, they just have to smash and they just have to struggle for the basic survival so it's heartbreaking and i'm trying to do something here at least for those people who come and need help um and with this... the help of uh, the kclr and local activists
So this is the job that you now have. You're working, you're only here two weeks, but you're already working with KCLR, trying to provide a service that provides information and to support to other Ukrainians who might be fleeing and might find themselves uh, living here in Ireland. Yes, true. Um, I think the KCLR, the local radio station, um, and its uh, CEO, uh, John Purcell, uh, they've sort of become a change agent um, in the matter of um, helping Ukrainian refugees and promoting the Ukrainian cause here in Ireland. Um, so um, John had an idea of uh, creating um, the Ukraine service at the KCLR and he invited me to work part-time as a project manager there so that I could um, connect different people, uh, different activists uh, who are interested in helping Ukrainians um, in different ways. Well, my panel is staying with me. Coming up, St. Patrick's Day celebrations are back, but there's also a coronavirus resurgence in our hospitals. Stay with us. You're very welcome back. Now, a new resurgence in coronavirus cases is causing concern in the country's hospitals. Today, Dublin's Matter Hospital appealed to the public to avoid its emergency department as services were under extreme pressure. Professor Jack Lambert from the UCD School of Medicine outlined his concerns. No, not really. Um, the thing that was keeping the numbers down was the fact that we were wearing fast face masks up until a couple of weeks ago. Now that we're not wearing face masks, um, the numbers are increasing. Um, there's this kind of misinformation that the vaccines are preventing spread of virus, uh, but vaccines aren't preventing the spread of the virus. Uh, vaccines are preventing severe disease, which is good news, but, but the thing that was preventing spread of the virus was, was the standard COVID mitigation strategies, hand washing and face masking. So, so the numbers are up again. And yet, I think people generally aren't as concerned because we're not seeing as many people admitted to ICU. We are not seeing as many people uh, dying because of COVID. Do you think we're wrong to have that attitude? No, I think we are wrong because, because there's a lot of collateral damage, OK? I mean, there's lots of lifestyle issues here. Now, I think it's really good news that we've been vaccinated and the vaccines are preventing not people getting infected, but they're preventing less people are ending up in the ICU, less people are getting sick and dying. But still, a lot of people are being admitted to the hospital. A lot of immunocompromised people are being admitted to the hospital. Um, a lot of people are out of work. A lot of kids are out of school. Um, there, there's significant, a lot of uh, healthcare workers are out of work. So we can't get on with taking care of the healthcare system, not just COVID, but other healthcare issues as well. So I, I just think it's, 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 you know, it, it's the responsibility we all have. We, we make a decision. Uh, we either take personal responsibility to continue to control COVID or we let go and face the consequences. And St. Patrick's Day will be the testing grounds. Now, everybody that is in hospital with COVID hasn't necessarily gone into hospital because of COVID, uh, but perhaps they've been diagnosed when they're in the hospital already. But does it, does it change the workload um, for the doctors and nurses treating them when you, you know, discover that that person has the virus? No, it doesn't change the workload, you know. And, and actually, like I said, 
said, people people are not ending up in the ICU, but elderly people, immunocompromised people are coming in, you know, sick, dehydrated, vomiting, you know, dizzy. They're falling down. They're 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 injuring themselves. So there's there's still a lot of collateral damage, and that a lot of healthcare workers are, are out of work. A lot of the wards in the hospital are infected with COVID, so the wards have been closed down. So, 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 like I said, that the numbers are on the increase today. The numbers have doubled just in, you know, in terms of hospital admissions. We were seeing, you know, maybe four or five, sometimes zero in a day a few weeks ago. Then it became up to five or six, seven, eight, and now we're seeing 10 to 20 a day, and that accumulates. Um, they're not going to accumulate in the ICU, but they're still ending up in the hospital, and that impacts on everything in the hospital system. You can't take care of other things if you're isolating everybody from COVID and half your staff is out of work. Have you fears for this then double sort of bank holiday going into a weekend? Well, I absolutely do, you know, and, and be, because, because like I said, I mean, I've gone to the gym recently. I was the only person wearing a mask in hundreds of people I saw. That goes staff members, that goes people working in the cafeteria, you know, the coffee shop. Nobody was wearing a mask except me. And if you're wandering around a, you know, a gym, you know, a locker room without a mask, if you're wandering around a pub, if you're going into the toilet in a pub, this virus is 90% more infectious than the virus in the first wave you're going to catch COVID and you're going to bring it home to granny and your whole family's been going to be out of commission for a week or two. So, so I'm not trying to scare people. I, I'm just kind of saying we're in a better place than we were two years ago. People are vaccinated, um, but vaccines aren't preventing transmission. Many of my staff are triple vaccinated and they've caught COVID despite being triple vaccinated. And we're being extremely careful. And I don't think people, many of the people at St. Patrick's Day holidays and their activities are going to be as careful as the staff that I know, myself included. Um, and many of us have caught COVID despite being triple vaccinated. Um, so I, I just think we, we do have a personal responsibility to, to, to be careful over right. the weekend. Oh. All right. Look, we're going to have to leave it there. But as always, thank you, uh, Professor Jack Lambert. And my panel is still with me, Emer Higgins, Michael Fitzmaurice, Hazel Chu and Shane Ross. Shane, it's very clear listening to Professor Jack Lambert there that he feels it's masks and the lack of mask wearing that is the problem. Did the government move too soon? Well, I think they're under an incredible pressure to do something very, very quickly. Um, but I think what's happened here is that the public's got very casual about the whole issue. And as a result of that, we are almost acting as though it's all over. Uh, and I think the reason for that is probably partly because of the euphoria which the government has prompted, but, but more so maybe the fact that the impact is different this time. You're not going to die or very unlikely to die from it, and you're not as likely to die as you were before. So people are much more relaxed about it, and I think probably too, too relaxed about it. And what... But were we not sort of told that mm. we could be relaxed about it now? Yes. I think there was a message going out really to say it, it is all over and people have accepted that. And, you know, you, the anecdotal evidence is that the, the figures we're getting are actually far too far lower than, 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 than we're being told. And everybody's got someone in their family who's, who's had it. So it's, I think it's a serious situation and I think it's, it's, it's obviously getting much, much worse. And we do forget. We do forget about the vulnerable people. The vulnerable people are out there and they're likely to get it and they will be going back into the ICU. The fact that the numbers in hospitals going up is bad enough, but the ICU figures will start going up soon if we don't do something about it or take a different attitude.
Eber, it is a pretty serious situation. I mean, we're going into this double bank holiday weekend and you've one of the main hospitals in Dublin, the matter is saying, don't come near our A&E, we simply can't take you. It is, of course, serious. Absolutely, it is. Um, quite often we see a lot of um, hospitalisations and presentations at A&E at peak times like St. Patrick's Day and like Halloween. And this year we're coming to that from a situation where we have coronavirus in our hospitals. Um, while the case numbers are high, it is really important to note, and I know you said that earlier yourself, that only about 50% of the cases um, th that are there with COVID are there because of COVID. But and you can hear Professor distinction to make. Yeah, but you can hear Professor Lambert saying there that they are under severe there. pressure. There's Absolutely. over 4,000 healthcare workers out yeah. you know, with COVID-related problems. Did you move too quickly on the masks? That seems to be the point he's making. No, I don't believe so. And remember that every decision we made, like the, the removal of masks, the removal of the, the law, I should say, um, governing masks, and masks are still advised, but that law governing them, um, that was based on public health advice. The expert advice from, from our experts who have steered us through this, right through it. Uh, and they are the people that we need to rely on. I mean, Professor Nolan only said earlier today that to some degree this is to be expected. Uh, and he said that the data isn't showing the, the kind of concerns that, 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 that we're hearing about from, I suppose, a COVID perspective. Now, it's very different when you're talking about overcrowding and hospitalisations, and that is a problem. And that's an absolute problem for, for, for staff and for management there. And I know Paul Reed has made statements about that. And we need to protect our, our health service, absolutely. But what Dr Lambert talked about there was children being out of school, people being out of work, this time two years ago. Every child was out of school. Yeah, but this time two years ago, we thousands of people out but of But Professor Lambert seems to be suggesting there that we need to start wearing our masks again. The government needs to change its, its advice. Are you saying that the government won't listen to these healthcare workers? No, we listen to our healthcare workers and we listen to our, our public health experts as well. And I mean, I know the Taoiseach said today that he's in constant contact with the CMO, Dr Tony Houlihan, because, you know, we are absolutely, of course, monitoring this. And we will absolutely act if we have to. But for now, the public health advice is... There, there isn't the need to do that. And it's quite important to, to remember, Kira, that like COVID isn't the disease we were dealing with a couple of years ago. That's because of our increased immunity from a vaccination and, 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 and a perspective of having caught COVID. But also, I mean, Professor Luke O'Neill only said it yesterday, UK studies are showing that COVID is now less fatal than the common flu in a but, lot of cases. But so we, we do have this learn. overcrowding oh. issue now in our hospitals. And Absolutely. as Professor Lambert was saying, you know, they're unable to do the work um, to treat other patients that they you know, would want to be able to do if they weren't dealing with these high COVID numbers. Do you think, Michael, there's any appetite out there for the reintroduction, perhaps in the short term, of restrictions? Um, no. Um, Would you support and, it? And uh, what Emer has said there, in fairness, if a government went on their own on a solar run without the CMO's advice, mm. the media and everyone would be kicking the daylights out of them because the numbers are gone up. Now we have taken, they've taken the CMO's medical advice. They have gone with it. Yeah, the numbers are gone up, but let's 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 step back a small bit here. Fifty percent, um, from my, my understanding, that's in hospital. It's not associated with going in because of COVID. Second of all, the numbers, and I've watched the numbers in ICU. Thankfully, and look at one person is too many in ICU, but it was like forty-one and going up to forty-two. On top of that, let's go back before COVID and a few years before COVID. It's not the first time in March or December or January because of, in my opinion, a health service that's not functioning properly, that the likes of Limerick Hospital, UL, or, or, or the hospital in Limerick, in Galway, in Dublin, where there were people were told to stay away because there was too many people coming. And 
Um, on top of that, there is also this side of it that nobody is talking about. A lot of people were afraid to go to hospital during the COVID period for totally different symptoms altogether or different reasons. And now they are getting more confident to get out there and, and go to the likes of it. And I know we have St. Patrick's Day coming up, but let's face it, Kira, this is the first St. Patrick's Day we are going to have in two years. And there's a lot of youth out there that whatever about COVID mentally have been struggling yeah. over the last number of years and we have to think of those people as but, well. But Hazel, what about the, you know, the mental struggle of those healthcare workers uh, in hospitals under phenomenal pressure again? comes back to the fact that we haven't provided for healthcare workers as much as we should. Um, we have a healthcare system that's not functioning to the stage that it should be functioning. And we have and yet Jack Lambert there saying, look, we can, you can really help us here in the hospital no, by mandating people and, to wear masks again. And absolutely to, to uh, uh, Professor Lambert's point is that there, need, there does need to be a, a certain duty on everyone to look at how we functioned as a nation and trying to take care of everyone else. It's so personal it, responsibility, it, so, is it? Well, is that the from message? From where I stand is that I know many people who will still be wearing masks on public transport, in restaurants or in crowded environments. I Out do. About I know the others do. Exactly. So there is that. But to mandate people, I think we've gone beyond that point. But let's look at the, the fundamental issues, which is our healthcare system needs to be fixed. All right. Right, we're going to have to leave it there, but coming up after the break, St. Patrick's Day, double bank holiday, but there's warnings from the Gardaí to rein in the celebrations. Will you be listening? Stay with us. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back. My panel is still with me. Fine Gael TD, Emer Higgins, Independent Deputy Michael Fitzmaurice, former Dublin Lord Mayor Hazel Chu and former Government Minister Shane Ross. So finally, three years later, we get to celebrate a St. Patrick's today. Michael, have you got the, the green wig at the ready? Yeah, look at his politicians. You try and um, go out and... Uh, Hit every you know, parade in no, the county. Well, no, it's not that, but the problem is the most of them are on at three o'clock, <laughs> so you won't be able to hit them. But um, you go out to communities that have made an effort uh, on St. Patrick's Day. They're putting, you know, people in rooms or in places in the last few months have put in huge effort to organise the parades, to celebrate. And it's probably going to be, you know, there's, there's young children that never saw a St. Patrick's mm -hmm. Day parade. And I think we should go out and celebrate it in style this year. 
um, because of the lockdown that we had for the last two years. Emer, as a country, how badly do you think do we need this? Oh, listen, we need a celebration. It's been a very, very tough two years and we've gone from one absolutely unprecedented thing to another. We've gone from a pandemic to a war. You know, it's really difficult, especially to be explaining this to children. Let's just go out there and enjoy ourselves. Let's do it safely. Um, but let's just soak up the atmosphere. I'm going to five local parades tomorrow. <laughs> I'll be in the Rathcool Sagart one and on the viewing stand for Luke. And I'm really excited to be back doing that. Are there that. votes and parades? Is that what I'm getting here? Well. It just sounds like it. Sounds like it. So. Uh, Shane, do you embrace it? Do you embrace St. Patrick's Day? I've embraced it already. Um, one, of, one of the things that Michael was saying, the communities are fantastic, but you've got to remember, uh, it's also international. It's, it's fantastic. And I was sitting in my... I was just looking out of my window. I was in London at the weekend after, after the match, and I was, I was looking out my window in Piccadilly, and there I saw the Roscommon GAA club lorry. And very stupid, I didn't think... I didn't work out what it was immediately, and then I thought, oh, yeah, it's St. Patrick's Day. And the next thing I saw was Micheál Martin walking down the street and it was just a fantastic occasion and there was there was Micheál Martin and the crowds of Irish people having a great time but it's not just that it is worldwide it is valuable worldwide yeah. it is I, I used to be a cynic I, until I became a minister which is what all ministers always say <laughs> <laughs> but I used to be but I could see the incredible value of being able to celebrate a national day in all the capitals in the world and the way it's being done. So, Do you think I, there is real value oh yeah, in it, even though it is just, no you know, for a lot of countries, are, it's, it's just, just a big party. For a lot of people, it's a big everyone party. Everyone wants to be Irish on it's, St. Patrick's it's Day. It's I, I, I remember working in New York where on St. Patrick's Day, everyone I met told me that they were Irish six times removed or something. Everyone wants to be Irish. And when uh, even when you look at the immigrants here that have come particularly important in, uh, over the last couple weeks of the uh, people who have come into the country to see what Irishness is, to see the celebration, to be part of it. I think it's incredible. And the St. Patrick's Festival, the amount of work they've done in preparing this over the last two years now, because they didn't have a parade for the last two years, it's going to be amazing. Yeah, the, one, the one other yeah. thing is that for Ireland, it's, you know, not many countries get to be right around the world for one day. Mm. On top of that, it gives a look at these people that's, you know, you see trolls on social media saying, oh, this one is such a minister is going somewhere yeah. or wherever. Like, um, it's not a junket, to be quite frank about it. It's uh, not a jolly, is it not? It, well, we're not no, very serious, so hard work. The, Can we the place that? to be, if you're a minister, is at home. Yeah. Because, because, well, because you, get, you get St. Patrick's Day example, but you don't get the hard work. Yeah, but the, the one thing that's yeah. in it, there's a lot of trade missions as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, there's a team that goes with most ministers. And look, at, it's very easy to have a cheap shot at it. And I'm not one for saying you should waste any money. But if we can get out there and create a few jobs at the moment, um, I think we should be looking. If you look at yesterday's announcement, and we welcome what Intel are bringing to Leakslip, mm -hmm. but if you looked at the or if you listen to the language that was used yesterday about Germany being the crossroads of Europe for, for this type of industry, um, we need to be fighting for jobs everywhere and get out yeah, there well, and, and put our, yeah, our work forward. Particularly if, if Michael Martin's comments about a possible recession in the, f yeah. Yeah. In the future or anything to go by. Uh, it's it's interesting to hear you all, though, um, Hazel, sorry to cut across you, but it's interesting because everybody across the panel is saying, let off a bit of steam, embrace it, we all deserve it. And yet... I have to say, I've noted the messaging over the last couple of days. It came from the Gardaí, it came from the JAA, um, zero tolerance and, you know, public drinking. That has, 
that has been quite interesting, hasn't it? They seem to be trying to curb people behaviour. Well, it's all about enjoying it responsibly. And I suppose this comes back to what we heard Dr. Lambert say earlier in relation to trying to protect our health service. You know, don't end up in A&E by drinking too much and going out and breaking your leg. You know, it's about behaving as responsibly as you can. This is There's family events happening up and down the country. Go out and enjoy them. And um, There is going to be, the Gardaí have said, in Dublin City Centre in particular, a zero tolerance approach to drinking on the streets, for example. And I know that there is a, a very, a very wide-reaching policing plan going to be in operation um, starting tomorrow and throughout the Long Bank Holiday Weekend in, in city centres like Dublin and like Cork. And we do need that. You know, we absolutely do. That's there to protect our citizens. Why do we need it? Because, unfortunately, St. Patrick's Day can, as I said earlier, can can end up in situations where people end up in hospital. And what we need to do is just... Where people encourage... have drank too much alcohol. Yes, sometimes that does happen, absolutely. And, and what we need to do is try and encourage people to celebrate and to embrace everything there is about being Irish in a safe and responsible way as possible. That's all we're saying. Was that a difficulty when you were Lord uh, Mayor Hazel, that you know you are encouraging people to come to Ireland, it's a big national celebration, get out there, we're known for you know, our sense of fun and crack and our Cade Mila Falsha, but at the same time <laughs> we have to have this you know, very serious policing plan because people might drink too much. Well, I think it's balance. I think it would be unfair of all of us to say people will drink too much because they mightn't. But what we have noticed is that people need to let off steam. They need to be able to enjoy themselves. And what we saw last summer was when we advocated for everyone to enjoy outdoor summer, we weren't prepared for it. And what happened was a bit of chaos that, uh, that uh, ensued. And now with this plan, there has been proper measures put in place by the Gardaí, there has been proper measures put in place by the organisers. And I'm hoping that everyone gets to enjoy it in different ways, from family to uh, groups, that they get to go out and have a good time. And good, having a good time is many different ways. You may be out yeah. having a few pints with your mates, you might be out enjoying the parade. It could be a mix of everything. But what we're saying is there is a balance. There is a balance. Did we, did we change our attitude to socialising, do you think? Michael, during the pandemic, and has that stayed? Yeah, I, I'm, in my honest opinion, yes. Um, there was people that sort of always went to the pub um, for a few drinks. They changed because they weren't able to go, obviously, and they seemed to have gone away from it. A lot of people, you'd notice, it's now going to restaurants, maybe for a meal, maybe have a couple of drinks and go home. Um, and indeed, you know, we have to give credit to the youngsters of this country because they've spent two years sort of locked up and watch them over the last few weeks or months that they have come out. They have been, you know, look, you'll always get someone that elect Egypt or whatever. But in general, we have to commend them for what they have done. And I do think that tomorrow, like, everyone is watching what, what will go on. There'll be families out there who'll enjoy their day. They'll go home after an hour or two. There'll be some people who will stay on later. But look, all you'll say to people is do it as safely as you can. Mm -hmm. uh, enjoy your day. It's a day out. It's a national day of celebration. Mm -hmm. It's the first in three years. And I think we shouldn't be like the big bed which looking over everyone. And Was there a bit of that, do you think, the last couple of days? Well, yeah, I, I, look at it. I think that people are responsible in Ireland. Over the last two years, they have shown how responsible they were with the likes of the COVID. Yeah. So let's give them a bit of credit. Let's let them out there. They will look after themselves. And I don't think we have to be preaching to them. We're not going to become sort of an any state. Yeah, I, you, think, you think from this conversation that it was all about drink. It's not yeah. at all. Mm. It's, uh, it's going to be... Well, I, 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 I'm only talking time. about alcohol because I think I'm reflecting the yeah, messages that came from the Gardaí and from the J among other yeah. people. You know, drink in moderation, we'll be watching, course, zero tolerance. You know, that's that's not, that has been the conversation. That's not the point of St. Patrick's Day at all. It happens, of course. And, you know, 
Fine. People, it's, it's going to be a normally police day, as far as I know. There, people do wrongs; they'll be arrested. If they don't, they won't. But Michael is right, and I, I, you can't say it often enough. Young people of this country put up with something quite awful mm. during that COVID, much more than anybody who was who was older did. They lost their prime years. They lost maybe one or two of their prime years, and they should actually be in our minds and be allowed and encouraged to celebrate in the, in the next two days. And I hope, I hope they do, say, do so. And I just hope that these kind of measures coming in by the police aren't directed at them and are saying, oh, the young people couldn't behave themselves because there were one or two incidents. I think young people in this country behaved absolutely fantastically during well, the last two years it, it, with great restraint yeah. and yeah. great honour. Just one final thing. Um, Friday was sort of meant to be, you know, a day of... I suppose, reflection, wasn't it? I mean, it is meant to acknowledge the sacrifices that people made mm. um, over the last two years because of um, COVID. H has that been forgotten? I think a bit. Yeah. I think a bit. I think people are saying, oh, great, it's two bank... I mean, that's the natural reaction. God, there's two bank holidays, I can take four days off in a row. And I suspect that has been about, forgotten a bit, and it's, it's probably been drowned in other things which have been, you know, the Ukraine and, and COVID have, have overtaken nearly all news stories. So I think it has been forgotten, which is, the, which is a pity. The one thing I would say is that um, frontline workers made a huge sacrifice um, and done Trojan work. Um, the one part of it that we have to watch on the double bank holiday is the businesses around this country, the private businesses that are coming out of the COVID. Some of them are touch and go, but keeping going. And some of them are struggling with all the bank holidays that's in Ireland at the moment, to be quite frank about it. All right, well, look, we're going to have to leave it there. I hope you all enjoy your parades and uh, your double bank holiday. That's it from us. Our next news on Ireland is on Ireland DM tomorrow morning. That's from 8am, but from us here, good night and Laila Patrick. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.